This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right. That's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. When one night I was on stage playing and it suddenly occurred to like, holy shit, I'm on stage playing with fucking Miles Davis. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, like how the hell, you know what I mean? Because before that, all I wanted to do is like, just, just do a good job and, you know, be there, be present. And, you know, like that's a, there is no time to have any stray thoughts. Hello, fellow beings. Welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. Thanks for coming on, man. I am so stoked. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Uh, is the audio okay for you? Absolutely. Okay. <clears throat> this is a big deal for me. I need to get this over my chest because I grew up listening to so much of the music you're on uh. as a teenager, uh, in uh, ah, pre-globalist India on tapes which are, <laughs> are very questionable as far as legal matters are concerned. All right, right. We didn't have a lot of options back then. So um, this is, uh, you're making a childhood dream come true tonight. Ah, you're crazy, but thank you. No, thank you, man. Sincerely appreciated. Actually, that was, that was kind of the more um, exciting times when you had bootleg tapes and stuff like that. It was ah, right. kind of... Kind of fun. There was a, a a certain kind of fun with that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, now now everything's available, but it was like, wow! If you and you discovered something, or you like somebody got a hold of something, it was like, wow! It got kind of a <clears throat> weird like Easter egg or something. You know, it's cool. Indeed, we had a circle of friends who <clears throat> basically passed the tape along, and we'd record each tape onto right, uh, you right. know, blank tapes and. Uh, used to be yeah. like we always try to try to find the guy who bought the tape first and chase him down so we can do like a first generation transfer. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For that that first generation, and don't you know use a metal particle medical metal tape or exactly, yeah. chrome tape or whatever you know the ceramic the ceramic um, like cases. Oh, they, they were heavy and wow, solid. Seemed like it sounded so much better, and of course it didn't. But <laughs> I hear you. Um, confession: I've been uh, listening to approximately two hours of your interviews. Uh-oh. I mean, you've been asked every question in the book, so I'm a little at a loss as to how to shoot a question at you. You're probably not bored of already. Oh, I said, yeah, I don't care. I mean, I think that it's there's nothing wrong with the same questions because. Not everyone knows everything in the world, so your listeners don't—they don't listen to the same things as other people do. So, yeah, I mean, there's a complete legitimacy in asking whatever same questions. Yes, man, I appreciate that. Whatever you want, however, it's your show. You just do it the way you need to do it. I'm completely okay. Yeah, cheers. That that just speaks for the very unpretentious and generous vibe you have around you. And, um, ah, no, seriously though, thanks. I mean that's that's yeah. one of the things that's you know really uh, comes across as the most striking with the kind of career you've had, man. Your demeanor in the manner how you keep things so grounded in the manner you tell your stories 
is so inspiring for me as a musician. Yeah, I think, it, I don't know, um, maybe it's my upbringing in Hawaii or just that I've had really good grounded friends and family or I don't know, I you know, whatever. Or I was introduced to Buddhist thought early on in life and that might have also helped, you know, because, you know, what if, for whatever reason, you know, I do just see the common, I, I prefer to also to see the commonality in everyone <clears throat> as opposed to the differences. Although I love the differences, you know, because they're, that's fascinating and fun and, and really, you know, great. But, I mean, we do just all exist, I mean, here, and we're, you know, all human beings, you know, yeah. and we all have different weird jobs and paths in life. But at, at, I think everyone has the same basic struggles and joys in life. Um, and, and we all kind of want the same things generally. So I think that's what keeps me, you know, whatever the way I am, because everyone's a person. And, you know, does, does that make any sense? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It's just extremely sobering and humbling to hear a music, a musician of your status, put it the way you just did. Yeah, I mean, that, this, the things I may have done or not done are really cool and interesting and fun and exciting, and I learned a lot. But it's just, I think it's just a value that we place on things in the world as a whole. And for better or worse, it's all we have. Because, you know, say, I oh, I played with some cool person and that seems like wow like a big wow thing and it is but there's also people that do equally wow things like that our society doesn't celebrate them as much mm. for whatever reason uh, a teacher or somebody you know in some classroom in in the middle of uh, Kansas or whatever like you know, finally reaching a student that hasn't been able to grasp a subject or something, you know, history or, and suddenly something clicks and something shifts and then that student suddenly is opened up and that's a, a huge wow thing. But, you know, we don't hear about those. No, we don't. Because it's just, uh, it's just a structure of our society the way it is and it is what it is and it's not evil or anything. It's not terrible. It's just maybe sometimes unfortunate that there isn't enough, I guess, exposure to these other things there could be. So, um, I hear you. Just, you know, the guy, you know, making the perfect bagel or just people that do great things, but we never hear about it because or maybe it's something really arcane you know like oh a, a, a colorist in a in a, a you know a gaming studio you know like or you know one of the artists that you know is in the background but you know they contribute and make this amazing thing to me it's all fascinating but music is a, an interesting category so it's usually more celebrated and it i think it just makes it breaks my heart sometimes because often i hear Oh wow, you know, like wow, you've done, you know, you played with Miles Davis. <clears throat> so like, all I've done is just played in, you know, um, whatever my my blues band in at back home, <clears throat> and I, I always I feel terrible because it's set up so that some people think that that's not as worthwhile, you know, or as has enough as the same value as me playing with Miles Davis. But in fact, 
it has just as much, if not more, sometimes, you know, because you're serving the community and, you know, in a real way and you're keeping your mental health, taking care of that by playing music. And so to me, that's a, every bit as valuable as, oh, you know, I went on stage with Miles Davis. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, to me, that's all valuable. And and that's why I keep reminding these people when they tell me, it's like, well, that's awesome. And it's, and you know, especially when they say, but we have fun, they they usually say that. And that's the key. And I tell them that's, that's the number one reason to do all this, to make people happy, to have fun. That's the highest goal, to make life better. <laughs> yeah, wow, that, that's extremely heartwarming to hear. That energy you're just referring to, how difficult have you found it to keep it alive amidst the madness of the music industry? Uh, I don't know, pretty, pretty easy for me um, because I love it so much. Um, and I think the quote-unquote industry is just mechanisms. So there's some parts of it that are horrible, obviously. We all know, uh, you know at times... But that, you know, well, when I was a kid, it bothered me a little bit, but I'm not so, it doesn't bring me down because the, the real thing about music is not that. It's the real thing about music is the playing and writing and performing of music and the connection with one person or 10,000 people. That never goes away. So I'm, it's easy for me to play music at any time of day or night, you know, because that's what's important to me about it. Beautiful. Do you remember when you realized this approach to it all, or was it just always a part of your psyche? Um, hmm. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think I think it was a very gradual. It might have been the the, the maybe the inception and the, the little germ of thought may have been there for a long time and then it just kind of gradually over time mm -hmm. got more fully developed as I began to realize things like I think it's just when you see people reacting like when you see that you actually have touched someone it's it's pretty powerful and I remember maybe it was like I was uh, when I was 14 um, I had an uncle who, who played the fiddle and uh he played a lot of bluegrass music and things, and I accompanied him because I was learning. And uh, and sometimes we did uh, in during the Vietnam War. Uh, there were these places called coffee houses uh, in the United States mm -hmm. and, or in Hawaii, right? and they were they were generally places where you know counterculture people could hang out, you know, and you know and talk about and think about, you know, revolutionary concepts and, you know, like how horrible the war was and all that. And there'd be entertainment, you know. Um, uh, oh, hold on. Somebody's at my door. Hold on. All right. Hello. I'm on the phone right now. Oh, wow. Thank you. Where'd, you, where'd they come from? Up in the middle of the farmer's market in Westwood Village. Where's the farmer's market? Where? Mm -hmm. Wait, where is it? It's a little funny one-way street, uh -huh. kind of right in the middle of a village. Oh, Westwood uh, Village? Yeah. Oh. Thursdays. Thank you very much. Yeah. But 
Wow, these are strawberries are my favorite ever. She said those are the sweetest ones. They're smaller. She said they're sweet. Oh. And I just tried these. Yeah, go for it. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I'm sorry. I got to go. Bye. Oh, sorry about that. No worries. You mind if I keep that on the podcast? That was gorgeous. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, my my neighbor brought um, strawberries and blackberries from the farmer's market. Yeah, so I got it. Yeah. Awesome. Enjoy those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I plan to. <laughs> uh, strawberries are my favorite, actually. Mine too. Um, oh, what the hell was I talking about? Oh, yeah, the, uh, the, the coffee shop. Coffee hut, yeah. Uh, yeah, the coffee shop thing. Um, so we were talking about the, the feeling of music. Um, so when I was 14, I played at one of these coffee shops with him. And, and you know, we played, I played back him up on guitar and he played fiddle, we played songs. Uh, and then he, you know, he's, he liked to feature me as well, like, oh, it's my my nephew, my young nephew, and all that. And, you know, it was, it's always a, that cute thing of, oh, having a 14-year-old kid do some kind of musical thing with a prepubescent voice and all that, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, and at the time, I was really into um, Woodstock, right? Woodstock, the, mm-hmm. the album. And I did, I think it was actually, I was 12, if my voice hasn't changed yet, but I did, you know, um, I don't know if you know, you're familiar with, uh, but Country Joe and the Fish um, really had either. this fi- fix in a die rag, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, I thought it was, you know, funny, you know, because I was reading National Lampoon at the time, and 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 it goes five, um, well, it's one, two, three, open up the pearly gates, oh, don't know why, wonder why we're we're all gonna die. It's about, you know, it was a an ironic, dark, humorous take on the Vietnam War and having, you know, uh, you know the story, right? Yeah. Um, so I did that, and, you know, that was supposed to be cute and everything. Um, and then afterwards, this this young lady, you know, probably in her 20s, comes up to me and it goes, and she goes, wow, that was so amazing, and, and, she, and she was crying. And I was like, well, to me, am I young and not really knowing enough about the political thing? I just thought it was a quote-unquote funny song, right? Mm. And here's this woman crying. I, I, I was confused. And she, and she goes, oh, it was, so, it was so wonderful. Thank you, you know? And then she said, my boyfriend died, you know, got killed in Vietnam. It wasn't like she was mad or anything like that. She was crying, but it's, it moved her just because it reminded her of you know a very special thing and so that you know initially of course freaked me out but um i also i think that was the 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 beginning of my realization that oh music sometimes is not just you know haha party party you know um you know it's it can really do things to people and i think that was the beginning i never forgot that incident you know and even to this day, we can go into Smooth at House of Blues, you know. Mm-hmm. And I still, Smooth, you know, party song, summer party song, you know, big, you know, the song everyone loves to hate because they heard it too many times. But I've actually seen people like literally start crying when we go into Smooth, you know, of all songs, you know. Wow. And again, it's it's because music is like, you know, it... It's like a hologram of sorts because it starts, it brings all these other feelings and memories to people, mm. you know, and, and, it, and it's actually can 
transport them, you know, like on a whatever molecular biological level on, in some ways, they actually get transported and they start crying or, or, or you know, joyous, you know, whatever brings a lot of joy. Or It's like a parallel dimension. Yeah, yeah. Like a dimensional experience. Yeah, because, and it's, it could be the most innocuous thing, you know, like a, a country Joe song or smooth, you know, but it's powerful stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. So I always, it always keeps me, I always have a very, very healthy respect for that and, and you know, um, and view it as a uh, huge responsibility, you know, because it's like, a, you know, it's like a, it's a big, it's a very powerful magic, you know. And it's, you have to, and I hate to, <laughs> I, I hate to quote Spider-Man, but, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And, you know, you have to respect it, you know, and, you know, like have fun. I mean, I have a great time, you know, but at the core of it, it's, it's meaningful and it can be really powerful and meaningful. And you never know how you may be helping people just by playing your song or just by drumming for just doing anything musical <clears throat> your one song that you do could act literally save someone's life you know um, and i'm sure it has many times so yeah that resonates deeply with me you grew up on a, in a very special part of the world um hawaii it, yeah yeah i've never been unfortunately i hope to someday but it is said it comes with a very specific kind of energy mm-hmm. um do you think that's played a big role in your approach to life and music in general? Is that something you carry with you? I, I'm sure I do, yeah. Um, because there's this sort of... I think it's something to do with the ocean and um, the Hawaii. Hawaii is especially Hawaii or any island is like this but hawaii in general in particular is like geographically one of the most remotest places on earth like as far as being surrounded by ocean by pretty much the same amount of ocean like two thousand miles of ocean on every side you know mm. um it's not really close to anything <laughs> wow. and um there's something about the rhythm the, the feeling of the ocean that you know since the ocean is like creative life practically you know um maybe it's that and the people there this sense of um i don't know life can't be that bad mm. even though it can be very difficult at times but when you are surrounded by the ocean there is a there's a there's a different grounding effect somehow you know yeah, and especially yeah. hawaii because there's the ocean and there's these beautiful mountains just right there also like you're in the middle of of these tall majestic mountains and the vast ocean i mean you're literally you're seeing both all the time practically you know and i i think that has something to do with with that because it's grounding and freeing and 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 just it makes you aware that everything is connected and everybody's connected and there's a calming thing that a lot of people, you know, definitely I've run into people that 
have been a little like, why aren't you taking this more seriously? <laughs> you know, uh, it's like, well, I am actually. I'm taking. I'm giving it as much serious thought as it needs. But beyond that, I mean, still, there's all of life is still the same. Yeah, I hear you. Our little problems are are just that. They're just little problems, and then there's still this vast, these vast mountains the coal allows, you know, and the the wonderful, beautiful ocean, Waimea Bay. I mean, I can't see any other way to to see things now, you know? <laughs> yeah, I can relate intimately. I do an artist residency every year in the smallest of the Spanish Canary Islands. Where is this? Uh, it's called El Hierro. Wow, oh yeah, oh, Canary Islands, beautiful. Geographically, it's actually Africa, but it belongs to Europe. Right, yes. And this is the tiniest of all these uh, islands. 10,000 inhabitants. People don't close their doors or lock their cars. Wow. It's a UN biosphere run completely by solar power. Wow. I've been going there for six years now. It's become um, one of my homes. And I, I can intimately relate to what you refer to, right? Also, you always feel the ocean. It's like always there. Yeah. You feel it. You hear it. You feel it. I, I would go as far as to say, like, you're literally always feeling the rhythm of the ocean when you're walking those grounds. Yeah, no, I I I agree because because you're all, you it's in the air, so the ocean is like constantly exactly even on your skin and your I mean parts of Hawaii, of course, are you know pretty urban now, but um, mm. but they're still it's still still in a lot of amazing places. Like I like the Canary Islands too. I remember actually that's one of the, one of my favorite Miles concerts that we played in Las. Palmas, I think. Really? Yeah. Uh, in 1988, I think. Yeah. Well, once this travel ban thing's over, you should you should definitely get in touch right now. Uh, you oh, yeah. this place I'm, out. Seriously, it's... I would love to. It's yeah. one of a kind, this little island. Uh, it's very different to Tenerife or La Palmas, which is a very different... Oh, island. yeah, yeah. Tenerife is the, you know, the, the business drunken area. You know, there are all the tourists exactly, and this exactly. and that. I, I had no idea. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how many actual islands there are there. So, Do you remember the time you actually uh, migrated from um, Holland or in the Netherlands to... No, uh, no, I was a year old, if uh, that. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, I have no recollection of Holland. I mean, not, not consciously. I've never even been back to Utrecht, actually, which is kind of weird but um it was a trip going back there i was like wow my last name is all over the phone book <laughs> <You know? laughs> i can imagine it's a little confusing i mean i've been stalking you for for, for a while now uh and yeah. I, I remember being slightly disoriented because uh, uh, I, I knew you you were from hawaii and your name was quintessentially dutch oh it's yeah yeah, it's it's a it's. I have a disorienting um, background. <laughs> well, we have that in common. Uh, I grew up on three continents and four countries. And uh, oh yeah, right. You were born where actually? I was born uh, in Calcutta, India, but I left when I was seven months old. Okay. And uh, I grew up uh, okay. living between uh, London, Germany, and brace yourself, Libya. And where the last part? Libya. Oh, Libya, wow. Yeah, crazy story. My parents were traveling doctors. Uh, this was pre-internet. They had no idea they were walking into a dictatorship. And uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, that's a whole different story. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you guys made it out. Oh, wow. I'm glad too. We literally made it out just about in time. I mean, I have friends who have stories about like literally uh, 
taking all the food they could, piling it into their minivans and like literally driving through the desert with missiles flying over their heads, like some of my childhood. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, it was no joke. You know, we Yeah. You know, we, we think we think we have it bad sometimes in here in these Western countries, but some people went through a lot, you know. Indeed. Or my Romanian friends, because there was, of course, a lot of talk about, you know, Trump, dictator, and all this stuff. But I said, no, you don't know what a dictator, we don't know what a dictatorship is like. Yeah, I agree. Actually, my parents, uh, since they're from Indonesia, to add to the, to the confusion. I like the confusion. Yeah. <laughs> my kind of confusion. Yeah, no, it's great. So that's Maybe that's another reason I just see everyone as people because I, my background is so, so heterogeneous. It's nuts, you know. But yeah, they're from Indonesia and they literally did. They were, they escaped to Holland because at the time there was this regime happening in Sukarno. Mm. And if you were not, if, if you were not a sympathizer, you were actually a danger. And my mom told me that, uh, you know, talked about being trapped in a riot with rocks being thrown at them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, so they, that's, and my, uh, her brother and his family, they left for Australia. And um, my, my parents opted for America. Um, so they went to Holland because that was a sort of a, <clears throat> um, I think they had to go to a, a housing where they had to be, um, just processed and you know like you know sang, uh, it was like a, a political sanctuary and um, and they prepped them for getting a sponsor to go to the United States and things like that you know um, so yeah sometimes a lot of trouble in the world. How did it feel when you uh, moved to uh, what's I believe referred to as mainland USA? What were your first impressions? Yeah. Uh, I was what, 23, so... Bay Area, you know, right? Yeah, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I... Yeah, I, I I left of my own, like, because I really wanted to. Uh, because I realized that, oh, you know, I'm missing out on a lot of, you know, musical tutelage that I'm not getting, so... Because we're so isolated here, we don't get to see, or especially during that time, pre-internet, I mean, there was no way to learn things that I needed to learn because nobody came through, you know, all this stuff. Um, so I had to leave. And it was exciting. I was, you know, I was all for it, you know. Here's a thought experiment. I can't help it, but in for a second. You reckon you would have not left if it were uh, the internet era? Hmm. That is an interesting experiment. Uh, I I think if I was a teenager now, I still would leave. Yeah. Because the teens these days, especially the millennials, are coming around to that. Uh, and I use that term loosely. I don't really care. But you know that generation would have, I think, initially not left and then realized that, oh, but the teens, I know because of my son, they're, you know, they grew up with streaming and internet and this and that. And and especially after the, uh, you know, during this pandemic, they're completely sick of 
video and streaming and this and you know they they're so over it you, you can't imagine wow. um yeah oh they're they're like this sucks you know so they i i have a feeling that a lot of teams would definitely leave um because i think ironically uh, that generation has more of an appreciation for real experiential things, you know, uh, wow. tangible uh, items. You know, uh, why? Yeah, the vinyl revolution is still, pot, you know, still going. You know, my son has a turntable. They like vinyl. They like things. They they like tangibles. You know, because it's a novelty for them. You know. You know? <laughs> Um, and I've taken him to enough live music for him to know the difference, you know. It's like, oh, that, because there's, there is absolutely no way you can download a, a real, the energy exchange of a performance, you know. Amen. Because, you know, you can't. I mean, because it's not. Yeah. And I love technology. I, you know, give me 4K, 8K, all of it, you know, uh, you know, high def audio i'm all for it i love it but at the end of the day it's still like you're still watching a performance from another time or something you know and even yeah, if it's streaming it's streaming you're not there and they're not there is no energy exchange you know and that's why you know streaming is really you know like a buzzword now and it's fun and i i, I like it I've, i watch some things but um you know, it's it's a stopgap, and people, you know, as you know, I'm sure you, they're always saying the same thing. I hear all of them. I can't wait to see you guys. And it's like, well, well, you could have seen us on streaming, you know, but it, of course, it's not the same. You know, it's there is literally an energy exchange that cannot be replicated, you know, digitally or AI or anything. You know, and that's and that's the core of it, and and that's why I think, yeah. If I was a teenager, I would leave Hawaii, you know. Um, That's so refreshing to hear. I'm curious, did you, how how the streaming concerts feel for you, for you folks as musicians? Uh, I haven't done any of them just because, oh. no. Um, I, and we haven't done any just because it doesn't, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, you know. Mm -hmm. I think it's more fun for local bands, you know. I think... That's actually maybe more of a gift. But, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people didn't realize that it's it's an experience when you go, you know, you're not seeing a band player or you're not going down to listen to these guys. You know, you are experienced. It's an experience. It's the, it's the ambience of the club, even if it's a small club, like, you know, whether jazz cellar or whatever. Um it's the experience of it. It's the, you know, you just, or maybe you get some onion rings or whatever, you know, like and you're listening and you're just, it's a communal thing that you don't get. And everyone says it. We do our Zoom meetings and we do our, you know, Zoom drinks meetings and Zoom dinners. And, you know, that's fun and the novelty is great. And it is good to see your friends even that way. But, you know, no one will ever say it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, may, I, may I ask you an opinion? Do you think that that changes when it comes to music education? 
I mean, the energy exchange of a concert, that's huge, especially with a band like Santana or even Miles. Yeah, yeah, right. Question. But when it comes to music education, for example, do you think there uh, might be added advantages as opposed to um, traditional? I, I think video, yeah. Uh, are you talking strictly streaming or live, like Zoom kind of things? Um, either, like one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions. I mean, one thing I've noticed yeah. is now, you know, with a lot of musicians with the touring gigs cancelled, they're, they're teaching a lot more or putting out courses. Right, right. And um, so I feel like the, the kind of possibilities with regards to music education all of a sudden, the accessibility really has gone up since the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. You think that's a good thing or does it take some of the magic away? Um, I think any kind of time you can have access and, you know, impart some kind of knowledge or receive some kind of knowledge is a good thing. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a good adjunct. Mm -hmm. um, I was taking voice lessons via Zoom, and um, I found that pretty rewarding mm. uh, for me because I was already a musician, and I think it was just... You know, I, I wasn't starting from scratch, and the teacher was great, Kit Nolan, and he, uh, you know, he's a musician, and, you know, so there, there was a, it was easy, and I got a lot out of it. It might depend also, though, on the instrument. If you're trying to teach a rhythm section instrument, like I was also trying to teach uh, some bass, <clears throat> excuse me, and I realized that a lot of things that you would do in person couldn't be done, like... The simple, just, you know, like keeping time while the student plays a bass line, mm -hmm. you know, can't be done, you know. So too much of the lesson time is spent on, okay, and trying to get this metronome or drum machine to work and then trying to hear it. And then, of course, their amp is off access, so it doesn't come through and then, you know, it sounds awful. So I can't really hear the tone that they're doing or, you know, there's a lot so many things that you know were just really detracted from the learning experience so <clears throat> it's partially the instrument and the approach that you you want to take in learning um if i was a beginning uh, vocal student and you know i was like, gonna sing opera or something i think it would be less effective because a teacher needs to see how you're breathing how you're physically you know like producing tones and really needs to hear the tone in person um, and because not very many people have a, a beautiful mic with a beautiful interface and really great internet stream and you know what I mean the whole yeah. nine and it's not possible uh, so yeah it's it was a great you know add-on to the entire education scene and you certainly can do a lot I mean you know oh here kids here's you know Here's how to play, you know, a two-five-one on a piano in the style of Winston Kelly, and you can see see the guy do it, hear the guy, and then you could do it, and uh, you know he can if you have it set up right. Uh, always a big if, you know, he can hear and say, okay, yeah, that was, you know. Uh, so there's definitely it, it's a, it's a not a, it's not a negative. It adds to it, but not a, not as much as people might think it's not the real deal yeah it's not like a it's 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 a good help and in, for certain subjects i think it'd be completely fine you know 
you know, uh, trigonometry or what, you know. So, yeah, for music education, uh, it, it helps somewhat, for sure. And other things, uh, it's, it's a stopgap. Yeah, I but I, I did get a lot out of my, my lessons. But again, I was not, I just wanted to sing a certain way. And he knew that, and it was it was pretty easy, and you know. What were you training for? Um, for fun. No, oh, cool. Um, yeah, because I've always enjoyed singing, and I really admire singers, and so I thought, well, I have some time on my hands, so uh, uh, yeah, I just uh, thought this would be great. Awesome. And luckily for me, it worked out in that way. Confession, Mr. Uh, here, here's a question. Uh, uh, um, sound like a music journalist now, which I'm really not. Ah, but <laughs> you are what you are, you know. <laughs> I keep telling myself that. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember me stalking you in college when I was working on my thesis? Yeah. Yeah, you do? Really? Yeah, yeah, because I remember the name because it was so unique, you know. And I always had a hard time remembering what it was because <laughs> it was like, oh, wait. oh yeah, oh, it was something like, oh, wait, and then I'd see it and not see it. Uh, <laughs> I did confused, you know, because I'm not, I wasn't used to that, you know, culture a lot. Right. So, like, wait, is it Mazumdar? You know, so yeah. yeah. Okay. Now I now I know it's Mazumdar. You know, yeah. so you know, it, but I remember at first it was like, wait, and the TL always, you know, I I wasn't as familiar with the the fact that a lot. Of, it seems like a lot of in uh, the Indian culture, yeah. Uh, they they have a lot of that. And I always say yeah. TL, and for for an American, TL sounds like a, like a nick a shortened nickname, you know, like Tony, you know, like Tony Lindsay, you know, like, yeah, yeah, TL, you know. <laughs> it's like so I thought, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. But it's yeah. usually like two like two like Indian names, right, or something like that. It's uh, it's just like a, like my entire name is Tapobrata Lahiri Mazumdar, which is a mouthful. Yes. So um, so it's just. A, that's great. I, I love it. That would be hard, harder, a lot harder for me to remember. <laughs> well, that's literally the first time that's worked to my advantage. Uh, I, I mean, Milagro was, I mean, all of Santana's albums were on repeat. Uh, right, I remember that. Yeah. Growing up. But I remember Red Prophet, that song on Milagro, it stands out, right? It's like... It's, oh, thanks. It's, uh, it's you hear whoa where where this this is not a regular Santana song and that's this was back in the day you could actually look into the credits and you could see right, the song right. and everything man I miss those days and um, th that's that's how I realized oh there's that guy oh there's that it's it's by that guy with the weird Dutch name <laughs> no that's actually the first time I saw that weird Dutch name and and I started trying uh -huh. to you know figure out okay who who is this Dutch name. And, yeah, uh, and this was when oh. websites were just out, and you had this amazing website, by the way. With uh, I did, yeah, you did. You know, the first first website I saw, it had these really oh, I graphics, think I re like black and white graphics and stuff. Really, um, the very first one. I re I remember my website being really garish because you could you could basically do any you know colors were like. I, I'm not a graphic designer, so I just put as many colors as I could. Wait, so you designed your website yourself? Uh, yeah, at first, yeah. I used Dreamweaver by Macromedia. Wow. Uh, and that was when it was a lot easier, you know, and it was just before CSS started really taking off. Hmm. And, and so it was mostly all HTML, and I was like, you know... Oh, this is cool. Um, but then, and then I got really confused by it all, and then I started, you know, 
So, <laughs> so I still don't have a website. But I gotta start that again. But um, well, it's all Instagram now, apparently. So yeah, I know. I, people still yeah. want a website sometimes, and so yeah, I, of course, it's part of part of the. There's not as much of an impetus for me to get one, although I know I should ha- have one. Um, but, you know, I probably have. Host, I have several different hosting accounts and I haven't activated them because, you know, it's like, oh, I got to design this. I'm curious, dude, who, who the hell still needs to see your website? And this, that came out wrong. I mean, I, like everyone knows No, you. no, no, no. Lots of, I mean, you just need, you know, it's a constant thing. And, and I think in the world, there's a lot of competition and, you know, I, there's a lot of, a lot of great things happening. So you, and, and. Yeah, we're at this really weird point where we have to ha- cover all the 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 modes, if the modalities, if you will, you know, because okay. some people like websites and some people like Instagram, some people like Facebook. Older people like Facebook, you know. Younger people like Instagram. Even younger people like TikTok. But I'm not. I'm just. I don't. I can't see myself doing that. It's like just too much. Unless I really come up with a stupid looking video. There's different strata of markets you know and so people they respond differently and they all have a different kind of culture you know and which has been evolving you know like instagram used to be i used to love instagram a lot more because it was strictly a you know beautiful pictures or interesting pictures and that's it Mm -hmm. and everyone there was no squabbling like on twitter or anything um it was just hey look at this cool thing and just, you know now of course they you know got bought by facebook so you have stories and then you have ads and you have this and that promoted and sponsored this and so you're like okay it used to be such a cool little artistic you know little community exactly. um, right. right so and it's still you know there's still a lot of fun you know if you have your right people but that innocence is lost, just like MySpace, you know. Oh, I know. Yeah, the sort of innocence. I really miss MySpace, actually. Oh, yeah. It actually had a story, you know. You could literally, like, connect to people, listen to the music. I wish someone would bring that back, and not the way MySpace is now, which is not, nobody uses it, you know. But the original MySpace, that was great. It, it was, was perfect. Yeah. Really it was great for musicians, great for fans, it was really musical, um, you could be as, you know, as you could tweak your interface to be be whatever you wanted. It could be horrible, it could be garish, it could be, you know, but it was great anyway. Exactly. Uh, all those glitter stickers. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, I still want to pick your brain on your song, on that song, The Red Prophet. I'm slightly obsessed oh, with sorry. it, as you can yes, probably make. No, 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 please don't apologize. Um, yeah. As you can probably make out, I'm slightly obsessed with it. Um, how did that song make it to the album well is there a background story to it uh well i was new in the band and uh i just let's see uh i demoed it i mean i was playing a lot with uh sequencers at the time and uh yeah i i I loved i got into tech pretty early um so i had an alesis sequencer was that written on that or yeah it was a lisa sequencer and um you know and i had sound modules remember those and um and i just did this just 
for myself. Hmm. And I, I guess maybe Carlos was saying, Hey, you know, like he kind of put out the word to the band and said, like, Hey, you know, if anybody has any material, you know, we're going to start recording. And I went, um, I was like, well, I don't know. I really didn't think he'd go for that because it was such a weird little piece. But, um, you know, he heard that and he was like, oh, and he liked it. So I was like, oh, okay, let's do it. Who is the Red Prophet? Oh, the uh, Red Prophet was uh, a title of this book uh, by uh, Orson Scott Card. Ah. Um, And uh, he did several, he did a lot of really great uh, cyberpunk novels uh, and series, actually. Um, And... uh, <clears throat> this is from the Seventh Son series, um, and yeah, and he it was great because he did draw heavily upon Native American culture, and and it was a fascinating series, well written story, and uh, I liked that book a lot. And uh, a lot of my music comes from literature or movies, <laughs> basically. Beautiful. Yeah, I I just, I just get so inspired by you know other people's artistic offerings um so yeah that that's where it came from and how did the recording process proceed yeah they had the the demo and then i wrote out some of the parts for chest ct and for the percussion guys i just you know told them well there's this six eight section and i told the drummer what kind of groove you know and he could he could hear it anyway and they just took it and actually, you know, breathed all that life into it, the way real musicians do, right? And then we recorded it, you know. Um, yeah, and uh, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, uh, and that was, I mean, and that was, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Sorry. No, um, it's, it's, dude, that, that's, that's, that's a lot. I mean, you just—I just got to like a insight into how one pitches a song as a band member of Santana. That is big. I'm just digesting, what you, you know, the energy of that. Yeah, it, it's um, you know, it's a pretty straightforward, and, and and yeah, and a lot of bands, I think it works kind of the same way, you know. Or, uh, I mean, there's there's an, an infinite amount of variations, of course, but. It's generally you you sketch it out or, or you demo it and you say you know hey what do you think of this <laughs> you know and mm-hmm. people go yes or no you know or they go like yes but maybe can we change this or if you're part of a string quartet do you just give them a score and say hey let's read through this see if we like it you know but I gotta say I mean and and I'm pretty sure you hear this pretty often I mean it's it it's very noticeable. Uh, since we're talking about processes and bands, I mean, the ones you've played in, one of the most striking things about your career is the bands you played in. It's it's Sheila E, Prince, Crusaders, Miles Davis, Santana. I mean, it, it doesn't get more intense than that. Well, okay. Uh, I didn't play with Prince. Okay, yeah. And that, yeah. that keeps, you know cropping up and I really I don't want to let you know let people think I actually did 
Yeah, my bad. He was around in the Shiri E days, and I did. Yes. No, no, that's fine. Um, that's an easy mistake to make because I think uh, once, because a long time ago I said, yes, Shiri E, we opened for Prince. And then it just, somebody will say, oh, they played for Prince. And then it'll turn to, he played for Prince, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. you know and that's, that's normal. Yeah. That's just like... Um, my bad. But yeah, so I did not actually play for Prince. Um, uh, Sheila E was, that was fun. Uh, and the Crusaders really was only three three or four shows. I was literally filling in for someone because they couldn't find their usual bass players for these three shows. Do you see a common thread? I mean, these are all iconic artists, like as iconic as it gets. Though I remember you referring to something on those lines. I don't want to try and quote you, but... What do you think, in your opinion, as someone who's actually worked with them that closely, is there a common thread amidst artists this iconic? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think, uh, well, okay, and also I want to clarify, you know, Shili was also, it was a very specific experience. Mm-hmm. You know, and I only played with her for about two years, and it was Strictly during the, that glamorous life era, you know, she's she's so much more, yeah. you know. And um, but I only really did that era, and that I was pretty green and definitely learned a lot. It was a great experience, but wow, I learned a lot. <laughs> you got your dance moves. Oh yeah, the, <laughs> you remember that? I love the story. Yeah, that was hysterical. Oh God, um, I, I never forget the look on the the, <laughs> the 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 wardrobe lady Fiona, her face because. She literally had to pull my pants down oh, <laughs> while I'm good. playing wi- wireless in the side of the stage because uh, they had a little changing booth that she would do a costume change. And I'm <laughs> playing the bass and she's like tugging at my pants and she's like, I had this look on her face like, oh God, you know. <laughs> That's as rock and roll as it gets. And they're wondering, I hear him, I don't see him, or is he? <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, it was it was phenomenal. But um, and the Crusaders, like I said, it was really pivotal for me. But I really was only three uh, gigs. Uh, but it was pivotal in that they were actually, um, well, they were this. I was still living in Hawaii at the time, mm-hmm. and I had no knowledge at all of the real traditions behind that kind of rhythm and blues playing, you know, and funk jazz playing. And there, those guys kind of, they lived it and wrote that book, you know, the Houston, Texas kind of thing, was very heavily steeped in gospel, which I had no background in whatsoever at the time. You know. So they, it was a really harsh experience because they were like dude they were basically saying dude you don't know how to play (laughs) (laughs) yeah you talk about that a few times about a rude awakening yeah it was and and i i never forget it and always be i'm always thankful for that because that was the catalyst for me leaving you know that's when i said i remember specifically (laughs) sitting on the curb out in LA somewhere outside of this rehearsal studio or wherever it was and just like you know the whole typical early 20s like I was 21 or whatever uh, you know 
that whole life flash in front of your eyes. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, just um, just amazingly devastated. And then I, I realized later that, well, clearly I'm not. I need more learning that I'm not getting. So that's that's when I realized I, I actually decided I have to leave Hawaii to get you know, and etc. So um, actually, they were pretty nice. You know, uh, they were annoyed as you would be with this skinny kid, you know, doesn't know how to play, you know, um, but they're pretty helpful. You know, they, they gave me a lot of pointers, you know, stick super saying practice with a drum machine, you know, I do, you know, even, you know, and uh, I remember Joe sample. I mean, he swung so hard all by himself. He was like a rhythm section by himself. He would just set up a groove on the keyboards. I had never experienced that in my life. Wow. You know, that kind of, and live in front of me, like, oh my God, he's like, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I, it was, that was throwing me into not just the deep end of the pool, but the deep end of the pool with weights on my feet, you know, or, you yeah. know, was, you know, it was like, whoa, okay, clearly over my head. Uh, and just to remind my audiences, this works pre internet. Yes, yes. Yes, it was way pre-internet. It was 79 or 81 or something. Uh, yeah, it was 79. And uh, yeah, I so for me, it was a big turning point. And I remember him railing about, you know, well, these kids are, you know, you, you kids are all like listening to this cat, Jaco. He, he, he pronounced the J as a soft J. And, uh, mm -hmm. That cat, Jaco, you know, Everyone wants to be like him and always getting the foundation, you know. And he was completely a thousand percent correct, you know. Mm. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> it, was like, it was like the teacher like pointing out. Um, but it was all just amazing, amazing uh, information for me. And I was, thank God I, I, I got it. You know, I, I was still you know, sucked, you know, to this day. So, uh, so that was the Crusaders thing. Who, who were your influences though, like, or have been? Uh, well, let's see. The, musically, you know, the Beatles were probably the first, I think. Awesome. Uh, yeah, like way back when I was 10, uh, I thought, that, you know, I started learning about music via the Beatles music and, so, uh, you know, I learned about, oh, how music works, you know, how four chord and five chord and what minor there is, you know, and how song forms and all that, you know. Uh, and then, yeah, and then it just kind of went on from there, you know. Um, earlier, I was uh, just rock and roll, you know. Uh, <laughs> I liked Black Oak, Arkansas, I remember. Uh, I liked um, Uriah Heep for a while. Uh, then I got into Prague Rock, and then it was all over. Uh, got into Yes, which I still love to this day. Uh, Emerson Lake and Palmer, uh, that a great Italian band, uh, PFM, Permiata Foneria Marconi. Uh, and I still listen to that. their two albums to this day. I can still listen to it. It's amazing stuff. What was the name again? Uh, Premiata Forneria Marconi, or PFM. Italian prog band. 
the two albums are always uh, photos of ghosts and the mountain uh, or the world became the world. Sorry. Mm. Uh, I, I still listen to them this day. I can still anytime that and yes songs, the live yes album. Awesome. Um, I, I got to ask uh, you a couple uh, of miles uh, questions. Then, uh, sorry, man. I, I keep interrupting. I'm so sorry. There's, there's a slight delay. No, no, no. Do what you need to do. I'm uh, okay. You talk about how, uh, while auditioning for Miles, you didn't even have a proper demo tape and no promo photos and just sent some Polaroid along. Yes. <laughs> you remember that, uh, Why do you think he hired you? I have no idea. <laughs> like, uh, I like the answer. I, I literally, yeah. Who, who knows? Um, Could you take a guess? Uh, I think... Um, I think he wanted somebody from because he was interested in that new, you know, kind of Minneapolis sound, yeah. and you know he, ah. I guess, um, uh, on my demo tape that I sent, uh, I had to put it together. I put, I tried to put whatever I could, and I didn't have a lot of experience. I did, you know, I put a little bit of uh, dramatics reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some uh, country western kind of stuff because that's I mean I literally didn't have a lot of recorded stuff under my belt so uh, and some folk stuff um, uh, yeah some a little bit of jazzy stuff that I in Hawaii and I think that's about it and you know I was like well uh, you know they called and they want so <clears throat> I'll I'll just do this and see what happens. And so, but I really don't know why. You know, I actually, yeah, to this day, there's so much, so many videos out now, uh, even online, where there's one specific uh, video. I think I might even like have it here. Uh, no, I just closed the window. Where he just throws you into the spotlight, and you just, you know. For a solo spot for which goes on for about five minutes. Yeah. How'd that feel, man? Uh I think you know, at that I don't know, I, I it was all a kind of a blur. It just felt I think because he insisted, like uh, and then it just goes back to that thread these icons. Um just always insist on presence, you know. So, you know, like at every note and every note, right? Did you say presence? So, Sorry, I lost you there for a second. Presence. Presence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, when you're you're in the moment all the time, you don't really have time to think about a lot of other things. So, <clears throat> you know, like, oh, oh, that's, I'm supposed to do this, okay? And you have to do it, otherwise, you know, uh, you're going to really suck, you know, in front of Miles you know so you know and he's going to give you that eye that stare so you know like you don't have time to think about you know like uh oh this is crazy or you know what i mean like that's all afterwards you know you're like wait what am i i remember it was it was it literally was a year after i i joined the band it was a year afterwards when one night i was on stage playing and it suddenly occurred to me that like 
holy shit, I'm on stage playing with fucking Miles Davis. You know, <laughs> you know? like how the hell, you know what I mean? Because before that, all I wanted to do is like, just, just do a good job and, you know, be there, be present. And, you know, like that's a, there is literally no time to, to, to have any stray thoughts, you know? Um, so yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then it just that's when it occurred to me. It's like, wait, how did I get? How did I get here? It's almost like I suddenly became kind of aware of my surroundings, you know, or something. Uh, wow. Yeah, very, very interesting how that happens. You refer to it as the gift of shock. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, because when you're in shock, you know, it's like you're almost drowned, like I almost did. Uh, afterwards your body, you know, tells you, you know, it starts shutting certain things down so you don't freak out and panic and, you know. And I think that it was probably a similar thing where you're actually, you're in shock. And then, so that moment was probably when the shock went off and we're like, oh, wait, I'm on stage with Miles Davis. But then at least by then I could cope with it and, and, I, and I shook my head and like, okay, back to the, the present moment. Yeah, it is. It's definitely you're, you're in a state. Of sh- I was in a state of shock for about a year, and so. <laughs> but it sounds like a state of like a very a different kind of shock, like a very positive kind of shock, which was obviously dragging out a certain energy out of you. Oh yeah, well the shock, shock. Well, I think when the body goes into shock, it is a positive thing. It's literally to help help with whatever's, you know, whatever negative thing might be going on. So. In a way, you could see that as a positive thing, but yeah, I mean, it's not literally like shock because it's not like a trauma, you know. Yeah, yeah. I w- it was just so, to me, it was just so, you know, like well, it's not something I would have ever would have would have happened. And like here I am playing with Mom Davis, you know. So you know, all those records that I listened to, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, why? why? So. That's yeah. the thing about Miles. Like there have been others who've tried to be Miles, but that completely backfired, right? He was one of those guys who would get the best out of his co-musicians by kind of instilling this sense of excitement and fear and love. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. No, nobody should anybody but themselves, and you know, and that's often really difficult to do at times. So. You know, uh, Miles is just one of those guys that, you know, just knew how to be himself and totally himself all the time, you know. Uh, and, yeah, that, that again, is one of the red threads between these two icons, you know, like Carlos and as well. Because yeah, you have to have, as they say, really big balls because you're always going to run into negative people bears you know haters mm. always you know like if you ever try to do whatever you're trying to do there's always going to be someone there saying you suck you know yeah. you know i mean miles had to endure that the whole time uh, carlos same thing you know and it's a testament to those guys because um it's not like they came and went you know you know, they're giants, you know, they're, exactly. and it's because, you know, they had the endurance to just, you know, I mean, mixed with a lot of other things, but, you know, the, 
the the recognition of communication with people uh, and just incredible incredibly thick skin but really sensitive at the same time you know yeah. it's an off it's a hard tightrope to walk you know yeah. but that's what you have that you have to have whenever you play music you know you have to be completely open and then of course that means you're going to be completely open to all kind of negative shit so you have to you know <laughs> do that dance and i think that's often where a lot of self-medication comes from you know yeah. um and then you know especially in the 60s 70s where you know, a lot of times it was you know it came to a bad end you know so yeah how, how do you compare your experiences with uh, carlos santana in, in the, i'm sorry how am i how do you compare your experiences with uh, santana uh, I, I didn't that, that I don't, oh. I'm not doing a very good <clears throat> job of being an interviewer here, but uh, oh no 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 uh, no you're doing great. I mean, uh, the experience of playing, uh, like you know, superficially the music is different, you know, but mm -hmm. in in spirit, it's the same. It's like uh, again, you know, uh, the onus is on us to be completely present, com play with complete conviction, mm. fire and passion all the time, you know. Mm. You know, even during ballads. Ballads are, you know, take as much, if not more, energy than, you know, a, a, a barn burner or, you know, some kind of crazy jam. You know, uh, just every note you play should have Meaning, conviction, fire, passion—you know, whatever it takes to get the message across. You know, um, and that's what they both. That's you know, it's the same thing uh, between with both of those guys. Yeah, you refer to how fearlessness has always been something you found um, to be a common factor between both Miles and Santana. Yeah. One question I'd have is: How have you nurtured that fearlessness and? How, what will your words of advice be to musicians in this era to stoke that fire? Yeah, it's difficult because there's so many ways that people can get beat down emotionally, especially nowadays with you know mm -hmm. social media. Mm -hmm. And there's such a temptation to follow this and follow that. You know, um, it's you know. It, it's a lot, you know, um, and I, th there's always a lot of work. It, there's always been a lot of work involved, you know, I think the perception of these tools that we have, you know, Photoshop and, you know, Zoom and, you know, all these, you know, pro tools and all this stuff, you know, they, they always sell the idea of convenience, even from the 50s. I mean, you know, uh, you know, oh, you know, this makes frozen food, you know, convenient, you know, uh, time saving. That's that's been a, a a constant selling point forever for things, you know, uh, the convenience of this and that, and so so we have these tools that we can conveniently make this music. And, and we have these tools that supposedly make you know suddenly you'll you'll be on every playlist and you will you know become a big star and all this stuff you know uh, and you know or you'll make the perfect movie or you'll do this you know 
what is I think because there's so much more of that these days, it's harder to realize that people get uh, stung all the time by the f- once they realize it's still a lot of hard work. You know, you know, mm. it's always going to be a lot of hard work. The reason, because if you just only do the easy thing, then your music, if you're talking about music, your music will sound like pretty much everyone else's and you're not going to stick out, you know. Um, so you have to do a lot of work to hear what, what's really inside of you, you know? Um, and then you have to do a lot of work to make that happen, you know, like, oh, but this, this preset groove doesn't really work for this song. Well, now you have to make your own groove for that, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, this preset sound or whatever, you know? Or these samples, these loops, and I love it all. I mean, I love technology. Don't get me wrong; I use it a lot, but for when it's appropriate. Um, but to get it all where it's sounding like you hear it in your head, it takes a lot of work. And then you kind of start standing out. And then when you start standing out, people then you're open to people, <laughs> you know, putting you down because like, well, that, you know, you should sound like Billie Eilish, or you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you don't get it. Billie Eilish sounds like her because she. You know, so so yeah. The the I think the 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 need to to copy is always really strong because we're insecure about our own stuff. Uh, but it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of work to go in and promote it. So, and it just takes a lot of work. Everything takes a lot more work than you think. That would be one thing I would say. And I tell my son this all the time. <clears throat> um, everything will take much more work. Like three times as much work and time as you think it's you know everything seems easy and it's not unless you unless it's easy if you want to keep repeating the same thing over and over again then it becomes easy but then you know what what's the point in that you know or if you want to do really crappy stuff you know then that's easy too um so yeah it's going to be a lot of work and then you have to have a ton of conviction and you have to really, really believe in yourself, and you have to trust yourself, and then know who else to trust in terms of feedback. Because people will like or dislike your material, whatever it is, for any number of reasons. They'll like you because oh, they want something from you, or they'll dislike you because they don't want you to, you know, get ahead or something. You know, there's like so many, or because. They want to date you, or they, you know, all just a million reasons, you know. Distractions. So, yeah, a lot of distractions. Um, so, and and then that becomes work too, just to try and, you know, do Occam's razor and strip away all the all the things that aren't necessary, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I I would just say, you know, to just have a lot of conviction. And just always remember that music is a, a means uh, to convey messages and experiences and to enrich people's lives. You know, it's not just not just a, a gig or whatever. You know, it's always a me- it can be always a meaningful thing, and you always have to respect that. That's you know, part of it. <laughs> so it's that simple. <laughs> and that beautiful. Yeah, and really, really difficult. <laughs> but you make it sound beautiful. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, it is beautiful. I mean, 
it's it's a, a real intense kind of beauty that cannot be you know replicated and sometimes it's a painful beauty but it is you know it's still a beauty you know so it's what they call the blues huh that's what they call the blues or that's what they call you know any number of things you know um it's all there you know i mean i mean that's what music is it's 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 our lot it's it's how emotions sound it's the sound of emotions or it's 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 life but just in in audio form you know um that's you know That's what I think. <laughs> Beautiful, man. I have one last question if you have a couple of minutes. Which, um, sure. You're clearly a very spiritual person and um, you play in the Santana band. Carlos Santana has always been very open about his spiritual views. Um, but, I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure spiritual, spirituality is in the right word, but is there a self-care practice you follow to center yourself for your music, especially when you're on tour or when you're working on in, you know projects with intense deadlines how do you keep yourself centered or is the music just enough to keep you centered for me i think the music is enough to keep me centered i mean i've i've had earlier times when it was really you know i was searching and trying to find my way and you know like really falling prey to inner conflicts and all this stuff you know um but the music will always guide you it really will or or the film or the the whatever art form you're practicing it it will i mean i just feel like it's all there for you so the practice is to try and you know keep that vision that goal in mind you know not you know not not in your own way so to speak you know and i think that There's, I mean, I don't do any specific spiritual practice. Um, um, I think that stopping and bre uh, breathing is really the only practice that I, you know, do on a con on a consistent thing. You just take some deep breaths and center myself again, and just you know, I look at the world and see a bird out, you know, flying, you know, um, and then you. And then you're you're okay, you know. You're, you know, uh, you know. Eat a fresh strawberry, you know. You know, hmm. all of that stuff. That's that's my spirituality. It's just, uh, just life and coming back down to who. I, I have read some really great books, you know, by Pima Children, and uh, uh, there's a book called Fear, and I forgot that writer. That's a great book. Um, And in high school, I read uh, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Suzuki, um, and things like that. So over the years, I definitely you know, I've tried to ingest a lot of it. But I mean, I don't really call myself anything in particular, um, but a human. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. That sounds really vague. <laughs> no, actually, that's not at all. Not at all. That's okay. Good. Actually, that's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I, I can't. But yeah, I just look at you. Just look outside, or it'll always bring you to reality. You know, here you are. You know, not not very spectacular, but I'm just taking it in. Yeah. I mean, everything is a part of life. You know, like 
you know, every it all is, you know, I mean, just doing goofy things, you know, mm-hmm. playing a video game or a drive. I love doing that, seeing nature that helps. Um, walking around the neighborhood, you know, just, uh, yeah. and also realize, I think when, when working or when writing, putting together whatever thing, you know, it's also good to remember that it will be done. Mm. People, you know, you'll finish it and it will get done. Um, it's never, I'm not a, I'm not a brain surgeon, so nobody's going to die, you know? <laughs> you know? And I, and that's, that's kind of how I, and even if people, and I've noticed that when people say we need this right away, they usually never need it right away. You know, it's almost always, you know, it's really true. And then you, if you do hurry up and you give them something, then they're not ready for it often anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because so there's a lot of other things that have that have to, you know, there's other things going on. There's like, oh, you know, like, oh, we're editing this, we're still editing this scene or whatever, you know, like, so, you know, uh, yeah, everyone wants everything now. And I just don't now. I finally realized that it's, you know, no one, no one will die and everything is going to be fine. That makes so much sense, man. Yeah. It's good to, I, I love, you know, I love the urgency. Good mm-hmm. to have the urgency and, you know, the, 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 the purpose, you know, I love that and being, and, you know, really getting things done. I love that. But, you know, really there's always that, it's like there's always this, hey, you know, you know, no worries, bro. You know, <laughs> you know, there's this. That's that's a dialect from Hawaii. Sorry, I slipped into pigeon. Um, yeah, but there's that sense of you know, like, or Italy is kind of the same way. There's like that sense of you know, getting it's going to get done. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah, um, I'm definitely not going to slack or anything. But things that are done well. They take a little time, so, so everyone else, you know, it, that's that social media thing. Everyone else seems to to do it all so oh, quickly, God, you know, yeah. and and you know, and and some people are quick, you know. I'm and it's great, you know. I I'm whatever I am. I am slow to medium or medium fast. I don't know, you know. Um, I do what I do. Everyone does what they do. Uh, but yeah. But no one, no one that, will die because you, know, you screw up. You know? That is so refreshing and so relieving to hear. Yeah, I mean, you know, just you know, it it applies to live music too. When somebody makes a mistake, man, I God, I remember so many times back in the day, you know, like oh my God, it was like a tragedy. People get so pissed off and you know, oh, you know, God, and life is over, you know. <laughs> mm. You know, and I remember feeling that too, like, oh, you know, the all that angst, you know, when we we're twenties. And I realized, you know, that's so what? <laughs> Almost nobody heard it anyway. I mean, there's this uh, story Herbie Hancock keeps talking about how he played a, 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 a bum note in quote marks and Miles just followed suit and played over that note and kind of went in a whole different direction. It's yeah. And it reminds me of that. Sorry, man, I keep interrupting. I'm so sorry. No, 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 it's fine. I mean, it's, 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 but it's true. I mean, you just, you know, I'm like, I mean, you can't, if you're always going to play so safe that you don't make mistakes, then, then what good is it? Then, then you don't have no fire. So that's the whole thing about that goes back to that passion and fire. You have to, or, like another quote I love from Mario Andretti is that 
if it's not if things aren't about to fall apart, not going fast enough. Mm. And it's true, you have to push yourself. And so you've got to make some mistakes. That, ironically, is what makes all the music that we love work, is all the imperfections. I mean, everything that everyone tries to imitate now, all the classic rock, pop, whatever, full of mistakes. You yeah, know? Exactly. Full of it. You know, I mean, everything. Keep forgetting that. Yeah. But it's the fire is so there that no one ever hears it. Aretha Franklin, you know. Uh, any, that's what actually music is. <laughs> so. Amen. Yeah. That's a beautiful note to taper off on. Great. Man, th this has been one of the best conversations I've ever had in my life. Ah, get out of here. <laughs> no, I'm not just saying you that. Just, I mean, no, I'm really not. Oh, though. it's really sweet. No, it's really sweet. I really appreciate I'm, it. I'm just coming clean. Um, oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Well, you know, that's an honor. It's an honor for me. Yeah, Benny, the honor is really all mine. No, no, no. Um, seriously, because I, I view it as an honor for me as well. Because if I can be a part of someone else's joy that I, I was somehow able to contribute to wow that's, that's that's an honor so i totally respect that so thank you wow yeah i'm a little how do how do i even respond to that i'm you know that's I'm, I'm <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you hit the ball out of the park with that one i can't even say anything to that <laughs> no you could tell me to shut up <laughs> nah I, I couldn't do that for one I don't ever want you to shut up or stop playing, uh, so no. that's not gonna happen I'm just teasing um, well thank no it's very sweet thank you very much for you know inviting me no um, thanks for coming on I owe you an apology by the way you probably don't remember but you invited me to come hang while you were on tour with Santana in Cologne Oh, and I never showed up, and I owe you an explanation and an apology. I shot my pants. I couldn't believe that was happening. I just didn't show up oh. because I was shit scared. <laughs> was like, no, apparently the bass player Santana just just invited me to come hang after the gig in Cologne with the band, and I just I just couldn't oh. digest it. I just shot my pants and didn't show up. Yeah, I'm, I'm that moron. I'm that moron. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, man, yeah. don't worry. I mean, I've, that, nah, that's funny, though. Well, next time, uh, are you in Cologne now? I'm actually in India right now. Oh, yeah. are you? Are you okay? How is everything going? I mean, what it's, part? Um, I'm up east. I'm in a city called Calcutta, the former capital. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense, and my parents, both being doctors, they work like 40 Ooh. hours a week at hospitals, so I get to hear all the stories firsthand, but um, yeah, Aye. it is what it is. Yeah, I have a friend there. Yeah? Yeah, she's taking care of her mom. I, you know, she used to live in New York City, and she's, of course, from India, like everyone else from New York City, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but yeah. she, went, she, she went back. Uh, and you take care of her mom, and then suddenly this outbreak, and she's pretty scared, you know. So, but she's got yeah. a good outlook, but it's uh, it's kind of scary where she is. I'm just most. Um, I mean, my my parents are super self-sufficient, being doctors themselves. I'm yeah. just here for the moral support. Plus, flights yeah. have been blocked, so uh, I can't return to Europe. Oh, yet, so I'm just waiting. That's right. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. She, I mean, my friend is in Uttar Pradesh. That's right. So that's why it's even a little bit more scarier for her. We like to, you know, 
knowing about things here in the United States, but I, you know, <clears throat> I have to keep reminding people that, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, intimately familiar, man. I mean, I'm I'm German yeah. by, uh, by, by, right. by citizenship, so we we we're, we invented moaning, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. See, there's the blues familiar. too. You guys, yeah. <laughs> everyone's got the blues somehow, for sure. Yeah. I, well, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm not sure that does justice to the word blues in this case. But yeah, I need to go back to India. I we played there twice, and I it was one of those things where it's just like, oh, I have to come back. You know, definitely one day. Yeah, we did Bangalore, um, Delhi. Mm-hmm. And um, it was such an amazing experience, you know. I never forgot the feeling of the people. There was this great band that opened up, and it was fun, and they were cool. And it was just, uh, it was amazing. I remember actually getting off the plane, and we were we out of the airport in Bangalore, and there were all these drivers, yeah. you know, with their black limousines. You know, they were waiting for their customers. And I remember thinking, hey, this, this is just like Newark Airport. <laughs> It was literally like a familiar How these New Yorkers because, get here? Yeah, it's like, well, this is like cutting up a Newark airport. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's all these black town cars, you know, same guys with the turban, you know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm home. <laughs> yeah. So it was fun. Yeah, India can be, and the be food. that way. Oh. Huh? India can be that way. It can be surprisingly familiar, even in the you know, in the most unassuming. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I loved it, uh, especially after I was still living in New York at the time, and and so you know we always had the you know um, Parkesh was the guy that ran the bodega down the corner, huh. and and he always had this great music, and I would ask him, "Who's that? Who's that?" You know, it was a lot of Bollywood stuff, but it was so amazing to me. So. <laughs> So, you know, I and sometimes he had the CDs and I'd buy it off of them or something. And For real, Benny Richfield likes Bollywood music. Who'd have thought? Oh, are you kidding? Yeah. I mean I mean I don't I don't know all of it, but there's some albums that I thought were so beautiful. Um I have it all in my collection. Um, just, Do you remember names by any chance? That would be so interesting. Uh no, it was uh I have to look up, but um, yeah, I have to get a drive, hard drive up. But nah, yeah, no but I no, there's some amazing music, you know, and also some stuff like I used to listen to uh, Nitsi and Sonny um, uh, a lot. Of, um, his album called Skin, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Although he's British, though. Yeah, he's a Brit. I think he's from. I don't know where he's from, but. He's Londoner. He's a Londoner. He's he's quintessentially British Asian. Yeah, British Asian. But yeah, of course. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean okay. you hear the ancestral influences, of course. Yeah. He's as British as it gets. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Um, that was a long time ago, but um, but yeah, there were all these. It was always a soundtrack for some movie. I you know, from one of the millions of movies that they make over there. Yeah. Um, yeah but some amazing. Actually, now now I'm gonna actually find them because. They used to be in my jams, you know, like, but, uh, yeah, I can find them easier because, uh, there was some really amazing music at the time. And sometimes I didn't play for the guys in the band. Really? Yeah. I played for the band and they'd be like, well, um, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll definitely Deal. send you a couple of names. Yes. Done to you. But uh, anyway, but yes, take care of yourself out there. Wow. Cheers, man. Take care, stay safe, and you know, 
stay Cheers, strong man. and Cheers, yeah. man. I really appreciate the sentiment. That's super sweet of you. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, needs it's what it is to these days. So we'll get. That's how we'll get through it if people are just a little bit more human. You know. Amen. So. Amen. On that note, I will, right. I'm stopping the recording. Just FYI. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love, talk soon. Just another voice out in.